Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Talladega, and today FC stands for Friends Connecting because my guest is Pastor Dale No. Uh, we've been friends for several years now, I suppose, met at a doctoral seminar. Dale, why don't you introduce yourself for, for those who are listening? Well, uh, I am a pastor at Brown Chapel Baptist Church in Perigold, Arkansas, and uh, what Robert said, is, as he said earlier, um, we met in a doctoral seminar and became fast friends, and I have appreciated uh, his friendship deeply. I'm married for 26 years. I've got two teenage daughters, so please pray for me. <laughs> and uh, just love uh, evangelism, church revitalization. Uh, my passion is is just seeing people um, turn their lives over to Christ. Uh, but I also, you know, love theology and uh, love engaging with fellow pastors. Uh, so this is an honor and privilege to be here today. Well, we're, uh, you know, I'm definitely glad to have you on. I, I, you know, called you, I guess it was last week, maybe a week before. I, I Sometimes my, my days get all mixed up, as I know happens for you in ministry, too. We keep a careful calendar and it still all gets mixed up and messed up. But, um, I, you know, a lot of some of the first impression I, I got about you, Dale, one of the things that those who know you figure out pretty quickly uh, is, as you said, your heart for evangelism and, and your desire to see people come to faith in Christ. Um, in some of our first, uh, times together in doctoral seminars, of course, uh, we were both in the church revitalization program. And, uh, you talked a lot about the church you were pastoring at the time, which was first Baptist Mark tree, um, and some of, uh, your evangelistic efforts there and how that was affecting the church. Um, and so, you know, from, from then I, again, knew your, your heart for evangelism and, and not only that, but how it affects the life of the church. So uh, I, I want to begin just by asking you to talk a little bit about, uh, your personal, um, conversations surrounding, uh, evangelism or your personal convictions perhaps is, is a better word. Um, what does evangelism look like in your personal life? And then we'll sort of broaden that to the context of the local church. I was not always an evangelist uh, or, or really that concerned with evangelism. I was probably your typical uh, church member. Um, I've only been in the pastoral ministry for uh, about 10 years. Um, and uh, something occurred in my life. Uh, I was diagnosed with stage three kidney cancer. And um, that's what propelled me into finally surrendering to pastoral ministry. But it, what it did is it crystallized for me the desire to share Christ. Uh, I started thinking about why um, I wasn't sharing. Uh, I started to realize my time on this earth may be shorter than what I thought. And the more I dug into evangelism, uh, one of the things that struck me was 96% of Christians will never share their faith before they meet Christ. That convicted my heart greatly. It concerned my heart greatly. And so um, what I began to do is uh, just started to try to look for opportunities and probably was a little aggressive in the beginning, as many times we are. You just want people to, to, uh, to accept Christ. Uh, and I encountered then three circles. And as many people may be familiar with three circles, some people may not be, but three circles is literally, uh, you, you can draw it on a napkin. You know, I've got it on my, you know, my wristbands. 
but you, you start with God's design. You talk about how uh, sin entered the world that led to brokenness. Uh, then you talk about the gospel and that um, the way is to repent and believe and uh, take hold of the gospel. And then uh, you recover and pursue God's ultimate design. So it's a very simple method. But one of the things that struck me in that is brokenness. And so as I begin to dwell on that and think more about um, how can I meet people in their brokenness, I actually don't always start the gospel conversation with God's design. I start with where people are at. I, as I look what you know, at what our Savior did, at what Christ did, he met people in their brokenness. And so that's where I've really tried to work to, um, to meet people uh, because we're all broken in some form or fashion. If it weren't for Christ, maybe he, he's put some of us back together, maybe a little bit better. Uh, some he's still working on, probably like, you, you know, you and I, Robert. But, um, but brokenness, I believe, is, is one of the key components to evangelism that many times we overlook. So talk to me, uh, Dale, about um, a, a little bit more about that. As a pastor, sometimes we... Um, we talk about how difficult it can be to literally meet people in their brokenness. What are some of the things that you do in your personal life and, and in your ministry to very literally meet people there in their brokenness and, and start those gospel conversations? Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I did at Mark Tree, and, and it's been a little tougher because we changed churches in the middle of a pandemic, but I've tried to find ways to, uh, connect with people in their element. For example, uh, anytime that I'm in a restaurant, uh, I will ask the waiter or waitress, how can I pray for you? And it's, it's really a non-offensive way of approaching people. And for the most part, when people answer that, they'll tell you where they're broken because they'll, they'll, they'll tell you that's what I need prayer for. And so the, the, the term, how can I pray for you, has been instrumental in reaching uh, people in a way that really is non-threatening, but it, it shows that I care about what they're going through. Uh, I'm going to take the time to listen to them. Uh, there was uh, one waitress, I'll, I'll just never forget the encounter. Um, we were actually at a Japanese restaurant, and I asked, and she just looked at me and just started bawling. And she shared that her dad was dealing with cancer. Her grandmother was dealing with cancer. That was her very first day on the job. She was trying to maintain um, her college career. She was 19 years old and she had taken this job so that she could contribute to the family's need. And she just sat there and just wept. And, and as we prayed over and talked to her about, uh, you know, hope in Christ. Now, she she was saved. She, you know, had been born again. But uh, it just reiterated to me how we need to uh, meet people uh, in that brokenness. So um, with that in mind, have, have you ever um, in just your day to day personal evangelism, do you make a habit of bringing church members along with you in some of those encounters? Do you sort of do any of that one on one kind of training? Uh, I do um, and have in the past. Uh, it, it, it's sort of a twofold answer here, but 
Uh, I try to regularly go to lunch with church members, uh, with deacons, with people in the church, and, and it's always interesting to watch their face the first time I do this. And I because I usually don't tell them that this is what we're going to do. And so we begin to see doors open and, and people are like, wow, you really believe this stuff. And I'm like, I do because it works. Um, but the, the other part, what really got me excited and also dismayed was a few years ago sitting in a church leadership meeting. And I asked how many people are comfortable sharing the gospel. And I had one person sort of slowly creep their hand up halfway. And this was leadership. And, and I, for six months, I had been preaching on evangelism, going out, talking to people. And, and most people were, A, not comfortable, nor were they equipped. And so from there on, I began to put together a quarterly or biannual uh, evangelism workshops in the church, open up to association. And my heart is not just to... Uh, take people along and open that dialogue and do the personal one-on-one -on -one training, but then also on a, you know, more corporate or plenary level to then do um, these workshops. And I call it workshops rather than training because uh, we're actually going to do role play. We're going to get people up uh, and I have them share their testimony. We're, we're not just going to train them in a method. We're going to have them sort of, uh, put it into effect uh, in front of the class. Uh, we're going to get them comfortable writing down their own testimony. We have a, a practice of uh, write out your testimony and keep it 100 words or less, uh, and then be able to communicate that in less than two minutes. Um, so there's, there's many facets to this, um, both from that personal standpoint of, you know, maybe taking one or two people, but then also from even a classroom style. So you talk about those two of those basic strategies, sort of that one-on-one -on -one influence. This is what this looks like. And then that sort of larger scale training. Is there anything else you're doing actively right now to develop that culture of evangelism uh, at the church you pastor? Um, and not only um, create that culture, but also to better prepare people to, to evangelize. Yes. And <laughs> um, it, it's, if you're going to listen to me preach or me teach, we're always going to end up in one spot, and that is at the cross. Um, it, it's That's the culmination, to, in my opinion, of, of every sermon, of every lesson, is we end at that cross. Because what I see in Scripture is, and this is part of the way I try to reinforce it, even though you may have surrendered your life to Christ years ago, you are still being held up by the gospel every single day. And if you, therefore, need the gospel every single day, how much more do those who do not know Christ need the gospel right now? So working from those two facets, it's, it's meant to reinforce their reliance, their need, my need, your need on the gospel of Christ uh, even in our salvation and, and particularly in our sanctification, but then for those who have yet to experience regeneration and justification. And, and so um, that is where I try to drive 
Uh, again, all of our, our preaching, all of our teaching, uh, we reinforce it through um, our uh, Sunday school leaders, uh, even with our Wednesday night uh, children's ministry team kits. Uh, everything should culminate at um, the point of the cross, um, and but not stop at the point of the cross. We're, we're not going to be like our Catholic brethren and, and, and still have Christ on the cross. No offense to anyone, but we have to remember that he is risen, that there's an empty tomb, and we're going to then proceed from there. And that's the freedom. That's the breakthrough of the gospel within our brokenness. So I know you, have, you and I have talked about this uh, a bit personally, um, and of course you're uh, fairly new and in a new pastor. You've been uh, there at Brown's Chapel for now six, eight months. How long have you been there now? Uh, six months. I am. I've just began my seventh month. Okay. So um, we've talked a little bit about what are some of the uh, effects that you saw of some of these strategies you've talked about about creating this culture of evangelism in a church. What are some of the effects that that had on First Baptist Mark Tree that you saw tangibly in the church? And maybe um, what are some of the things you saw positively? Uh, and then maybe what were some of the hangups? What were some of the problem spots that still sort of lingered? All right. If I understand you correctly, what you're asking is um, the the positives that came out of First Baptist Mark Tree is our first year um, we had seven baptisms. Now that does not seem like a lot. Um, and quite frankly, it wasn't a lot. Um, the second year, um, we saw our baptisms increase uh, substantially and we were somewhere in the twenties. I don't remember the exact number, but by the third year, uh, we had 47 baptisms, and then the, the fourth year, we had 53. And this is in a town of, it was a de, in a de declining town in the delta of Arkansas, and uh, we saw God start to begin to move and work, and we, we reached uh, across, um, you know, ethnicities. We reached across um, generations. This, this wasn't just a bunch of children, uh, you know, being born again, but this was all generations because we started to see um, through even, I'll say, personal leadership, and I don't say that pridefully, but I want to lead by example. Uh, but then we started to see others in the church get involved and start to witness and start to you know share and start to move. Um, and even during the pandemic, by the time we had left, we had seen 16 baptisms. And so in a town of, say, 1,500, 1,600, that uh, you're seeing this move of the Lord that is just changing not only lives, but changing eternities. And so that's the positive side. The negative side. If I look back and say, okay, we could have done better, we should have done better, I, we were not prepared uh and I'll take full responsibility for the other piece of the Great Commission, which is a better emphasis and focus on discipling all those new converts. And so um, that's one of the things that, uh, say, in this new church, I'm trying to maybe do a better job of not only doing the equipping of the saints, but preparing the saints 
for what I believe that, that the Lord will do here. And so uh, discipleship uh, is, it, it can become its own problem if that's all you're doing and no evangelism. Evangelism can become its own problem if all you're doing is that with no discipleship. And so uh, we need to do a better job. And we, again, we're working on that here of intermingling and making sure that they build upon each other rather than just uh, becoming so focused on becoming an outward, uh, intentionally missional church and not doing a good job on the discipleship. Uh, because then you have a bunch of baby Christians out there who um, aren't properly equipped for what the world's going to bring against them. Um, so you, you've touched on this already, but my next question for you is going to be, uh, what lessons learned at Mark Tree um, have affected some of the specific things you're, you're doing differently now? What are, what are some of the things you're carrying over and doing the same? You've already mentioned some of that, but what are some of the specific things now that you're trying to do a bit differently uh, at Brown's Chapel from those lessons you learned? Making sure that our people are equipped to not only be able to share the gospel, but then teach those who surrender to the gospel how to live that Christian life and understand that uh, this life is not going to be a bed of roses once you are saved. Um, you know, we are saved uh, from a lot of things, but suffering in this life is not one of them. Um, John Piper, and some people just, they either love him or they just don't like him. And part of it, by the way, I'm a huge fan, uh, but he talks so much in his ministry and in his sermons about suffering in this life. And you don't want to become depressive because we want to have, as he would term it, serious joy, but we need to be honest in laying out that you're saved, you're in the sanctification process, but that does not mean that everything in your life is now perfect. You are going to experience hurt. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience grief. You're going to experience cancer and Alzheimer's and dementia and uh, you know heart disease and all these, these horrible things uh, from one perspective, from a human perspective. But in our discipling, we're, we're trying to teach people that you don't have to go through these things alone, that you're now part of a body of believers. And so how do we bring them up to understand the doctrine of suffering? But then the doctrine of theology. I think churches today have done a uh, poor job, and I'm probably getting myself in trouble for saying that, and that's not a an uh, indictment on every church, but I think we've become so seeker-sensitive um, in so many aspects that we forget to, to teach theology, solid biblical theology. Um, and so that's part of it. But the other thing we have to teach also as part of um, understanding who we are and who we are to be as Christians is teaching church history. And ch churches, again, are not necessarily doing that 
um, well. If many people understand where we came from, how we got to where we're at, that's something that will, will change things. And then finally, the other thing, particularly in our children and our youth, we are going to teach apologetically. Um, right now, we're seeing from the anti-Christian side, a lot of the arguments are from an intellectual standpoint. Our people, no matter the age, need to be able to defend their faith, not to win an argument, but to win souls. And the way you do that, I believe, is by having an apologetic uh, as your basis for not only what do we believe, but why do we believe it? And how can we help others believe it? So it's a combination of all of these elements. Yeah, you know, a, a couple of things you mentioned, I, I think it's really interesting. Sometimes we uh, we encourage our church, we, we teach our church, challenge uh, the members of our church to evangelize and to disciple people um, according to the Great Commission. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. And then we train them to evangelize. But as you said, we sort of forget to train them to, to disciple those people that they've just evangelized. And they sort of figure, well, we probably got a program for that at the church. Um, and all along as, as pastors, we're talking about this organic disciple making and organic evangelism leading to organic discipleship. And we prepared them to do one, but not the other. Um, and I, so, yeah, I think I think you're dead on with with training them to, to do that other part of the Great Commission, because I think we've sort of fallen short uh, on that a lot. And as you said, um, a major component, both of evangelism and discipleship now, disciple making as a whole in our current cultural context is going to have to be apologetics. Um, and, I, you know, I think I think pretty often we neglect that and we sort of leave our people unprepared. Um, we we talk all the time that we as pastors don't have to be the experts in this these things. It's our job to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Um, but then we only equip them enough so they still need us mostly, you know. Um, and, and I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes we hold back some of the things we ought to be training them in. Um, uh, discipleship, apologetics, all those sorts of things that you mentioned. Um what so can I yeah can I add one comment on what you just said uh and, and you know you're you're a, a new doctor uh, you know congratulations on that I'm just excited about that but um you and I did not go to seminary just to get some degrees on our wall but in order to take our congregation where they need to go. We can only take them as far as we can go. And so into your point about, um, you know, holding back, um, I know your heart and I know my heart, you know, I don't want to hold back. I want them to have as much information and knowledge as I have gained um, in the proper fashion. And, you know, I know that's your heart, you know, so I, I, I know you want to equip your people to experience the the lessons that you've experienced so that, uh, as Paul would say, uh, we can go forward and evangelize and make disciples and, and have people see things from a correct biblical worldview. Yeah, you know, I, I know it's it's sort of on a different subject, a different topic. I think we've talked about this uh, a little bit on a previous episode. But um, one of the things I've I've told people, we did a Wednesday night study on how to study your Bibles, and I told them repeatedly, I want you to study your Bible in such a way that you make me have to work harder in sermon preparation. I want you to look at me on Wednesday night Bible studies and Sunday mornings, like, yeah, well, we we already knew that. 
pastor, we, we could have studied that ourselves. Take us deeper. You know, we, we figured that part out ourselves. I want them to make me have to work that hard. And, and, you know, um, as you're saying, we, you know, we, we want to glean knowledge and then pass that on to equip the saints for the, for the work of ministry. Um, some of those obvious effects of evangelism are evident. Number one, you've brought people, you've seen people come into the kingdom by God's grace. And we praise him for that. You've, you've seen the, the church grow through baptism and not just through, um, you know, whether casual Christians who now finally become faithful and, and get plugged into a church or uh, people who move from one city to another and join your church. The kind of church growth we talk about often is uh, growth through the baptistry, right? That's that's what we want to see. Those those though would be I would I would say probably the uh, the primary effects of an evangelistic culture in a church. What are some of those secondary effects that you've seen take hold in the church through creating this culture of evangelism, um, both where you've pastored before and at Brown's Chapel now? I really wish you'd give me this list of questions beforehand so I could have prepared. But, but what fun um, is that? <laughs> I, 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 there's a couple of things. One, a renewed love of Christ. When you start to see lives being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ it helps the church to fall in love with Jesus all over again. The further you get from your moment of salvation, it's like any kind of relationship. You, you, your love changes over time. It, it should grow deeper, but there's that renewal, that reminder of that initial love and that passion for Christ. And I think to me, that's one of the secondary effects. It, it, it becomes that uh, catalyst uh, that I would almost say that I'm sure Christ intended, but maybe as pastors uh, or evangelists or things of that nature that we don't necessarily intend, but we, we definitely see as an after effect. Um, and then that really leads into the second part is the excitement that it breeds. Um, years ago, I was told uh, by a, a business person that uh, activity breeds activity. There is nothing more true than when a church starts to see the Holy Spirit work and move in the people, and then through their revival, you start to see awakening take place in and around their community, and these things begin to feed on themselves, and all of a sudden, the people that may have in the past potentially tried to invite people to the church are now earnestly trying to invite people to the church. But there's another component there that I really try to reinforce, and that is to invite people to Jesus before you invite them to church. The analogy I use is it's sort of like inviting people to a wedding to meet the bride, but yet the most important person at the wedding isn't even the bride or the bride's family. It's the groom. 
but we are so quick to say, well, come to our church. Well, they don't know the bride. They don't know the groom. And so therefore they're almost wedding crashers. And so you sort of wonder sometimes why people don't like church. Well, you don't like to necessarily go where you don't feel welcome. It's not that churches aren't welcoming, people aren't nice, but there's just this awkwardness because you you don't know the the groom, the most important person. So um, all of that said, sort of a long answer to a short question, but I think the secondary effects are the the to get the people to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And then that helps them with the excitement of getting others to fall in love with Jesus. So let me ask you two more questions and and then we'll end. And hopefully these will be a a little bit easier. Um, So number one, you've talked about uh, training your people for evangelism. What is a resource that you would recommend uh, for for training your your people in evangelism? For the pastors who are listening, what's one resource that you said, hey, guys, if if you're going to order something for your church to train them, here's what I would recommend. Learn this three circles backward and forward. Um, I know some people don't, you know, everybody's got their own method that they have learned, you know, whether it's evangelism explosion, whether it's the Roman road, whether it's faith, there's a variety of them out there. Uh, Greg Laurie, you know, uh, uh, you know, tell someone, I mean, but for me, it's uh, the three circles for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, it's simple. It's very easily explained. We have to remember that the majority of people we're meeting today do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Many of them have not been exposed or even trained in any biblical literacy. And so, therefore, we have to meet them in a different way. That's the beauty of three circles, because it is an uncomplicated um, method that there is undergirded and underlying uh, dependency on the the gospel and the scripture, but it is not being presented in such a way that uh, you're people feel bad not knowing what you're talking about from a scriptural standpoint, because again, many of them have not been exposed to the Bible. And so that's the first thing. I I think the other thing is that it's a casual conversation piece. Um, The days of uh, walking up and say, hey, where are you going to spend eternity, heaven or hell? um, Don't, um, it doesn't communicate well today. People will shut you down. they'll, They'll run away. Um, and they won't look back. And in some ways, um, are we actually, uh, you know, we're, the gospel is offensive. We're not supposed to be, if that makes sense. And so that to me is why I am just such a, uh, a passionate, uh, you know, uh, believer in the three circles. So is that, there... That, yeah. So, and then on the, I guess the other side of that, is there a book you would recommend that um, uh, for pastors specifically to motivate their personal evangelism? Any, any one book that for you just really sort of hits you in the face other than scripture um, that sort of hits you in the face and motivated your, your personal evangelism? 
I, again, I love Greg Laurie's Tell Someone. I, I know some people, you know, depending on where you're at on some different things, uh, may not, you know, uh, like Greg Laurie, but I, I think he's a good communicator. I think he's, uh, you know, uh, a solid, um, you know, writer. And, and so it's it's a good, you know, good, easy book to read. Um, but for me, what, again, my personal experience, as I shared before, uh, but go read this story. It's a very simple story. And I'll remember the first time I read this in, in biblical hi uh, history. Um, and it was the story of Polycarp. And uh, there are still tear stains on the pages of that story. Um, you know, it's, it's on my bookshelf. I don't remember. the. It, it was basically the writings of some of our, you know, brethren from years ago. And that's the first time I encountered that story. And it inspired me in such a way that if this man is willing to, you know, go to become a martyr and um, give his life to be burnt alive, um, why should I be scared or concerned if someone shuts me down on the gospel? Because I think we need to be reminded that my job, what I'm going to be judged for when I stand before Christ, my belief in reading scripture, Robert, and you may disagree, some others may disagree, but I believe that I will be accountable for my labor, not for the souls that said yes or no. That's the work of the Spirit. I'm going to be held accountable for, did I do what I was supposed to do, which was present the gospel and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ with every person that I had the opportunity Amen. Amen. Well, Dale, thanks for, for being on. I won't pester you with any more questions, but uh, always good to hang out. Even if it's via Zoom, we got we to gotta fly you out here to Alabama sometime or or get me out to Arkansas. I hear the bear hunting's fun out there, so I need to, yeah, I need on, to get out your way. And uh, I mean, if nothing else, hopefully we're going to see each other in Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm planning on being there. We've got the hotel reservations and uh, messenger registration and everything, so. So do I, brother. Well, listen, we're praying for your ministry. I want to thank you for your podcast. Uh, you and Heath, you guys do a great job. So. Well, thanks, brother. I'm, I'm, I, I hope that means you're listening. Uh, that I think that makes three total listeners that we've got uh, between uh, my wife, Heath's wife, and now you. So, All right. There you go. Um, but uh, always good to talk to you, brother. I love you, and we'll talk again soon. All right, man. God bless All you. Right. You too.